Father, we thank you for the opportunity of being together here that this day, that as we gather, that we can be attentive to yourself. As we've come, Father, to worship you, to express our adoration and our praise, as we brought our requests to you, we come too, Father, to be attentive to your spirit speaking to our lives. And so, Father, we come today to hear what your word would say. As we look at the, the values, Father, that uh, underpin the way that we live and serve you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning as we uh, kind of continue our series that we've been working through in regard to what are some of the core values that we have stated uh, from the past as a church, we come to focus on what it means of actually being family together or the value of family. And uh, when we read through our statement in regard to what it means in, uh, to be family here, it kind of looks at two kind of areas. It talks about what it means for us uh, to be family in terms of our own families and how we are to live out what it, uh, it means to be a healthy, vital kind of families in our own situations. But it looks beyond that to what it means to us as a community of faith to be a family together here at the centre as part of Dural Baptist. You see, because when Jesus came, Jesus talks about the fact that he adopts us into his family, that we become Children, we become the sons and daughters of the great God, of Yahweh. And he invites us to express our life together as that of a family. Because similar to the message that I gave a couple of weeks ago, which included part of this passage, often when we talk about leadership then, we sometimes think that it only applies to those who were in um particularly appointed leadership roles, but we spoke about the fact that it actually applies to all of us because we lead in different ways. We lead in our families, our neighbourhoods, our communities. Uh, we all have a role of leadership in one way or another. And this is true in terms of family, that very often we might think, well, you know, I live alone or uh, I may just share it with, uh, with somebody else or I may live uh, with, with a few others. So what does it mean to me? So what all I want to share today applies equally to not only what we might do in our individual families, but what does it actually mean for us to be a family together here at Dural? And the other comment I want to make as I begin this to this is that a lot of our values overlap. They're not as if isolated from each other, but in fact that they are integrated together. And even though, as I talked through this morning, some of we will make reference to some of the things that we've already referred to because they relate across the board together in what it actually means for us to live as a Christian family together. In the New Testament, the families are actually described there as households. Because you see, the word for, the ch for church is actually the word ecclesia is only used in the Gospels twice. And it is Paul who actually expands on what it actually means to live out being the church. And the primary metaphor that uh, uh, Paul uses is the one of the body of Christ. 
But in his letter to Timothy and in his letter to Titus, he goes also, he uses also the metaphor of us as the church being the household of God. Now, there are many passages that I could go to this morning to describe the kind of relationships that God calls us to live out this value of being family. For example, so easy have gone to all those one another passages that Paul speaks about, particularly in relation to what it means to be the body of Christ. But I've chosen to use the early verses here in Philippians 2 because they're the key verses that are actually stated in our value in our uh, book Discovering Jewel. And it speaks there of verses 1 to 5 here of Philippians 2 as being the key passage in what it is for us to live it out as a family here at Jural. Now I recognise that for some of you, you have difficulty identifying with the value of family because of your personal history. Because that word family sometimes conjures up a whole range of emotions and things from our past story and our past history. And while many of us come from very loving and supportive families, others have come from blended families, single parent families, foster families, adopted families, dysfunctional families and and so on. I've shared previously about my own extended family and uh, the enormous kind of variety and history and diversity there is within that family. But they're still family. And when speaking of family, most of us today automatically assume that we're referring to being a nuclear family of mum and dad and maybe a couple of kids. But that wasn't necessarily the shape of families in the New Testament times. These were households that were usually far more extended than the kind of families we experience today. They often included, yes, parents and children, but they also included the wives of their sons, often the grandparents or the grandchildren. It included any widows who were taken into that home, unmarried members of the family, included the servants and slaves and so forth who served within this household so that the families or the households were far larger and extended than what we have today. It's also when we talk about church family, one of the challenges for us often is to, does that mean that I have to know everybody really well? Well, as we will kind of share, as, as, kind of, as we will explore this morning, not necessarily, but it does mean that we are united in the way that we do things together in terms of our spirit and the way that we relate to each other. Even in this last week, one of my uh, close family members has been in court, uh, a matter where they have been a victim, and the court, the, uh, um, the trial got aborted mid-week when uh, one of the jury members indicated that they were a distant relative. And we still do not know who it was or who it is. Nobody we recognised. But there was somebody there that 
that were still part, if you like, of our extended family. And the trial had to be aborted and started again. And sometimes in our own families, in our own communities here, we don't always know everybody who's here. But there is a sense that we are still an extended family together. In the world in which Jesus came, that Greco-Roman world of the day, not all people were valued or free. And such rights were limited to a few, primarily to the aristocrats, to the elite, the powerful within that society. But Jesus taught much about equality and freedom, about working together and where everyone is valued under God. And the early church were actually a collection of households. And the scriptures have much to say on how we are not only to live and relate within our households, but between households. Ideally, households or families are not about pursuing their own individual self-interests, but that they are communities where people look beyond themselves, where they get to know their uh, extended families, their broader networks, their affiliations to work for the greater good, although we won't know each other as well as some of others. We'll know some better than others. But Jesus taught us that we are to treat each and every person equally. That included the women, the children, the sick, the disabled, the outcasts, those who were often regarded as sinners, often people who were seen as lower and not of the same status. And through his life and his teaching, Jesus valued all such people as being equal, as being valued, as having equal rights before God. And later on, Paul reinforces this in Galatians 3.28 when he said there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So Jesus calls us to give worth and dignity and respect to all people who are made in the image of God. In this passage that we've read in Philippians, Paul is writing to a congregation for whom he has great affection and great love. And he sets out some key values in how we might live as a family of God's people. Key values that speak to how we are to live in a genuine community with each other as the church as a family, often as a contrast to the values of those around us. And Paul is encouraging this Philippian congregation on how to think about themselves in the relationship to each other, that living as a family means being unified and it means being imitating Christ's humility in our lives and our ministries. You see, three times Paul stresses that the followers of Jesus should be of the same mind, meaning that not that we all agree on every single thing, but that we have the same mindset, the same attitude, the same approach 
to life, and that is the mindset, the attitude, the approach that is in Christ Jesus. Paul begins by saying, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. You see, from this wellspring of affection and sympathy, some of the things which we've actually spoken about in these past few weeks, Paul pleads with them to complete his joy. And how are we are to do this? We are to act like a healthy family, a genuine community of love and commitment to one another. Paul wants them to be united in their passion, in their love. He wants them to be united in their purpose with a similar mind. And it is Christ who will ultimately fuel their passion and will drive their purpose. He speaks firstly of the foundational characteristics of our unity together, some of them which we've covered in a previous couple of weeks ago. Encouragement. And here it, the word means the act of inspiring another in belief or course of action, of lifting each other's spirits. Paul is saying in Christ we ought to be encouraged by being united in him and respond by encouraging in love. Now I know that in my own family that I grew up in, encouragement was not a strong uh, experience. It was often more a critical experience. And I know from that that I have to work really hard to be an encouraging person at times. It is very easy sometimes to fall back into that critical spirit. But I'm thankful for others from my extended family within the church and elsewhere who spoke words of encouragement into my life because they were, that was the things that lifted me, not the critical spirit. That didn't mean that there was not a place for some things to be spoken about and things that I needed to grow and develop. And I welcome that kind of feedback. But a place where people came alongside and encouraged me. It's like getting out on the sporting field and making a mistake and a teammate coming along inside saying, we made an error together. Let's work together so that we don't kind of fall back into that again. He talks about being united with Christ. And it is the phrase in Christo which we see through all of, a lot through Philippians and in Paul's writings, where any internal unity the church is going to experience can only happen if it is preceded by an individual unity with Christ by each of the members of the family. 
You see, we cannot be unified together in love. We cannot be united together in purpose if we are not firstly nurturing our relationship with Jesus himself. It's only as we become united with him that we become united together. So we're not more, we're more than some kind of social club. We're more than just some kind of sporting team. It's through our unity with Jesus. It's seeking after his heart. It's seeking after what he is wanting to say and do in our lives and in our community that we find a unity of love and purpose together. Then he speaks of comfort as being foundational or consolation. It is a word that means pertaining to that which offers encouragement, especially as consolation and relief and solace. It's when times are really tough, when we're going through the difficult periods, it's when people will come alongside and walk with us. And I know sometimes we don't have the words to say, but our presence with each other says far more than often the words we can use. And this is comfort that goes beyond just having, I guess, a friend alongside, but knowing that no matter what our circumstances, no matter what our situation is, that we are intensely loved by God. That our Heavenly Father is a nurturing Father who wants to embrace us in all our circumstances. And it's knowing his embrace and his comfort, his love, no matter what our circumstances might be. How difficult they might be at times, but other times when they may be joyous as well. And the word fellowship is another word that's used a number of times here in Philippians and we've spoken of it earlier this year, of it referring to sharing, of partnership, of community, of communion together. And Paul is reminding them particularly here of their partnership in the Spirit of God, that while we have a part to play that God calls us to minister in his name, It's the Spirit of God that working through us that will make the difference. And he's talking here of 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 the partnership that we share one with another. Tenderness is another description, another word that he uses in the way that we kind of treat one another, the way that is foundational, finding unity and connection as a family. And tenderness... Uh, I guess from the Greek word here is the seat of the emotions, the heart. It's the source of our love and our sympathy and our mercy where we express our gentleness and our kindness to one another. And while there may be things and times where we need to challenge and there are times where we need to 
work on, on, on growing and developing and there are times when we will have different ideas about things. We do it with a tenderness of heart because we come with a similar love and purpose. Compassion, we've spoken about one whole week in terms of one of our other values. And here it is paired with tenderness, that the compassion that we show is done with tenderness. I don't need to expand on that this morning. And so having made this appeal to what we have in Christ, Paul then points to a command when he says there, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. And like-minded uses a word to mean to think. We spoke about this a fortnight ago. And it occurs three times in this passage, twice in verse 2 and again in verse 5. And like-minded or being the same mind doesn't mean that we have to agree or have different opinions about things, but we are seeking the same outcome together. And that outcome is what does God want for us. What is God doing that he wants us to align himself with? He's not calling us to be all conformed to one another, but he's calling us to be united in our connection together and our purpose together. He calls us to the same attitude of mind, the same humility, the same way of thinking about life and others, the same kind of selflessness. Think the same when it comes to self, this humility, he tells us. Same attitude of mind, same love, same spirit, same purpose. And being one in spirit, being one of chord means harmonious in soul and spirit that we beat together in tune with Jesus and each other. And then Paul has called them to unity with positive exhortations and he calls them by warning them also against the negatives, those things that destroy family unity. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, he says, or vain conceit. Again, we touched on these a fortnight ago. And what are these false motives that destroy unity? Well, they are selfishness and vanity. Selfish ambition. It's a fairly rare word here. It's only found, this is the only time it's actually found in, this, in the Scriptures or in the New Testament. It's actually found elsewhere in Aristotle where he talks about self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. But what Paul is writing here is that what works with disunity in the life of the church is when we pursue our own energy, our own agendas, or we pursue our own um, um, ways in which we can um, benefit 
for ourselves over the needs of others. Where we use others and things in the place for our own personal gain or our own position to advance ourselves and we use others. And the word vain conceit here is a word which talks about a vain or exaggerated self-evaluation, about vanity and excessive ambition. I, and I'm sure many of you, have been around churches long enough to sadly have seen too much of this. Power brokers who keep a lock or a, a, a locked hold on the church because it's a way that they can retain power. Well, those who get uh, puffed up about their own self-importance or spiritual pride or spiritual arrogance that indicates that I am more spiritually elite than others, that the way that I do things or the way I go about things is the way that everyone should. And those attitudes lead to the death of the unity of the family. While Paul has considered those things that work against our sense of family, he expands on the virtue now of actual humility the humility of being in family. But in humility, he says, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look to your own interests but to the interests of others. You see, in the world of Jesus' day, humility was looked down upon and considered a sign of weakness. But Christians know that it is their hallmark. It was the way of the life of our master. And far from being weak, humility takes the strength of the Spirit of God since it goes against our human nature. C.S. Lewis wrote that true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Or another quote from Lewis, when he says, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud person is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Humility or lowliness of mind, as we said a fortnight ago, is not an emotionally needy false humility that fishes for compliments so that we feel good about ourselves. Nor is it a humility that we want to show in order to manipulate others so that they say good things about us. Genuine humility is when you actually consider others better than yourselves. So how do we do that as a family with authenticity? Because some resort often to a negative humility of self-deprecation or an inability to take a compliment. There's a sort of Christian piety that runs itself down obsessively. 
Paul himself, in a number of places, in Timothy and Corinthians and Ephesians, realises his unworthiness as an apostle, but he isn't obsessed with it. That isn't the source of his humility. That great well-known hymn of amazing grace that talks about how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The focus on that song is not grovelling but amazement and a wonder at the grace of God that has always been with us and always will be. You see, the focus is on God. And real Christian humility isn't about self-deprecation. But a positive Winston humility has its focus on God and others rather than ourselves. And that's the sort of humility that Paul is urging here in the way that we live together as family. And this is the way to understand Paul's phrase in this passage when he says, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. To our attention on others, on their strengths, on their virtues, that is Christian humility at its finest. And it has as its root love. Because I genuinely love the other members of my family. And I want the best to happen from them. And to do that, sometimes I have to set a step aside. Sometimes I need to allow them to rise. Sometimes I need to encourage them. I need to be tender with them and so on. Where negative humility focuses on ourselves and our own inadequacies. Positive Christian humility is motivated by our love and our focus on others. In the, verse, in the very first next verse, he says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others. And it means pay careful attention to. See, Paul isn't encouraging us to be busybodies, always prying to other people's affairs. But he's encouraging us to actually care and to care for others' needs over our own. And that means from time to time sacrificing my own ambitions, sacrificing my own needs or my own desires for the benefit of another. Paul's brief example to this, or his example is when he writes to Timothy, he says, I have no one else like him, writes Paul, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He says in 2 Timothy 2, 20-21. So having talked about the importance of humility and defined it, defined it positively and negatively, Paul then gives us the supreme example and he says your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. And what follows in the following verses we looked at a fortnight ago focuses on Christ's humility and is based on love for the Father. 
Paul may have drawn on a Christian hymn that was circulating at that time, and he, but he penned it for himself on this occasion in this letter. And so as a Christian community, as a family together, called of God and chosen to be together as a family, how do we live out these virtues in a genuine way? The challenge is for us, how do we live this out today? So firstly, then, just to summarise that, as Christian, as a Christian family, where as followers of Jesus we are of the same mind, not that we agree on every single thing, not that we always have the same mindset, but we seek together to have a similar mind, the same attitude, the same approach to life. That is the mindset and the attitude and the approach that is in Jesus. That we will show unity in the midst of our diversity. No matter what age or background or gender or experience or ethnicity or language, we appreciate and value every single person who's part of this family. That there is nobody here that has that doesn't have something to contribute. There is nobody here who ought not to belong. That we are inclusive of everyone as part of our family, no matter who they are or what their backgrounds and that might be. And that we demonstrate a positive, winsome humility that has its focus upon God and on others and not upon ourselves and attention on others, on their strengths, on their virtues. That's Christian humility at its finest. And a humility that has as its root love. I trust that as we continue to experience life and family together, that we will seek, as Jesus says in Matthew 5.16, that we will let our light shine before people, that they may see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. Let me pray. Father, you have called us into your household that we might be the household of God. And Father, despite all our differences and despite the ways that, Father, that we have different kind of backgrounds and experiences in the past, we bring different um, strengths and gifts. Father, we pray that we will learn from one another that we will learn to value each other, that we will learn to put each other's needs before our own, that we seek your heart together and your mind and your purpose and that we be united in that as we value each other's contribution. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.